this is not a, a typical Sunday for us. Um, I made a commitment when I became a pastor, uh, as long as the Lord would allow me, uh, that during Sanctity of Life Sunday, I, I would preach a, a message uh, that would be applicable to that issue, uh, that we could be continuing to think about it. So we pray that the Lord would be, encour- be encouraged by the word today and challenged as we continue to face um, the issue of, uh, of abortion and life in our country. Well, we want to hear God's word and we want to make sure that our hearts are receptive to it. Uh, So we want to start by paying honor and reverence to God's word. So please stand as we hear God's holy word being read. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, but not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed is doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Amen. Please be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you now uh, knowing that you are good. You are gracious. You are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You do not repay us according to our iniquity, but you are merciful and gracious to us. God, you are so holy and so good. And when we come into your presence, God, we are aware of how short we have fallen of your glory, how we have sinned against you by word, by deed, and by inaction. Father, we come now confessing our sins before you. We confess our sins of inaction. We confess that so often, Lord, we are hearers of the word and not doers. Father, forgive us for when we are quick to speak and slow to listen, when we are quick to be angry and showing the... um, a life that does not, is not accord with the righteousness of Christ. Lord, we confess it to you, knowing that you who are faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, we thank you for your promise in your word that though our sins were like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. So God, we pray that you would cleanse your people this morning from their sin. Lord, we lift up to you those in our congregation who are hurting. Father, we, we specifically pray for Ken Tedder this morning. We pray that you would just be with him now. Be with Sandra, God, as they face this trial. We pray for strength in Ken's body. Lord, you know exactly what he needs, so we pray that your blessing would be upon him. Our Father, we also lift up to you our dear brother Jared, God, who lost his, his father this past week. God, we pray that you would just comfort him. Lord, your scripture says that those who grieve, those who mourn, that you will comfort them. So, God, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to comfort Jared, uh, comfort Josh, God, uh, to comfort uh, the rest of the family, God, that you would surround them with your loving care. 
We pray for Melissa and Devin Palou. We thank you so much for their lives and their ministry. We thank you for them being back here in Rock Hill. God, we pray that you would just continue to be gracious to them. We know that Melissa had a rough week. We pray, God, that you and your kindness would just continue to heal her body. Father, we do pray for our nation. We do pray that you and your kindness would allow our nation to use wisdom in governing um, and the the laws governed. We do pray, God, that you would uh, repeal Roe versus Wade, God, that you would end abortion in our country. God, we know um, how many lives have been affected by it. We pray, God, in your kindness that you would give us lawmakers, both in Congress and in uh, the presidential office, those who honor life, Lord. We pray for Christians around our nation this morning as they think about this issue. God, we just pray for compassion. We pray that your people would be full of compassion. God, we pray specifically for our churches in Rock Hill, God, that our community here in Rock Hill would be a people known for grace and mercy. Dear God, we pray now for our own hearts as we hear from your word. Uh, We pray that the Holy Spirit would speak, Lord. I pray that I may decrease and that you may increase. I pray that the words that I say and, um, would, be, would be governed by your word and be governed by your spirit. I pray, Lord, that that which is said is said in a manner of grace, said in a manner of um, mercy. And yet, God, I pray it's said with power, Father, that the people of God would be formed more into the image of Christ. So, Father, I pray that you would prick our hearts, convict us where there is sin, Remind us of your great grace that you have given us in Christ. But above all, Lord, we pray that your name would be glorified, that you would draw men to yourself. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In 313 AD, uh, Emperor Constantine legalized uh, Christianity with the Edict of Milan. Before that, the Christians were persecuted largely Uh, in the Roman Empire, but when he made that edict, Christianity became legal. Uh, Although that decision was enforced throughout the Roman Empire, it was not unanimously accepted. There were some that desired for Rome to return to their pagan religions. And they actually looked at Christianity as atheism, a, a move away from their heritage and their gods. Julian, the apostate, was one who would wish that Rome would return to their pagan ways. He was the last non-Christian emperor of the Roman Empire, serving for two years, 361 to 363 A.D. Julian was a gifted philosopher and an outspoken critic of Christianity. And yet his complaints against Christians would sadly be uncommon today. In one letter to the high priest of Galatia in 362 A.D., Julian complained about the Christian Galileans. Listen to what he wrote. Why then do we think that this is enough? Why do we not observe that that their benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, the pretended holiness of their lives, that have done most to increase atheism, to grow Christianity. I believe that we ought really and truly to practice every one of these virtues. He's rebuking the high priest that that our people need to be like the Christians, who I despise, he says. He goes on to say, for it is disgraceful 
that when no Jew ever has to beg, the impious Galileans, Christians, support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. Teach those of the Hellenic faith to contribute to public service of this sort. Julian, an enemy of Christianity, believed the compassion to the poor, the kindness to strangers, care for the dead, and holy lives were the number one reason that Christianity was growing. The 4th century Christians cared not only for their own poor, but for the poor throughout the empire. Christians were clearly identified by their compassion. Can the same be said today? Are Christians known for their compassion? You know, of course, I know this is a loaded question. Uh, the answer may vary depending on who you ask, depending on what region you're in, if you're in the Northeast, if you're in the South, or what country you're in, if you're in Africa or Asia. But it's a question that I think we as believers must ask. Are American Christians known for compassion? Are South Carolina Christians known for compassion? Are, 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 are Christians in Rock Hill known for compassion? And are we, the people of Park Baptist Church, are we known for compassion? I believe this question is important as we look at the issue of the sanctity of human life this morning. There have been over 58 million abortions in the United States since Roe v. Wade in 1973. There have been over 46,000 abortions in the first 17 days of this month. Each number is not only a statistic, but it's a human life. Each number is filled with the agony and regret of a mother or a father, a grandmother, a grandfather. Each number is filled with a number of complex reasons that may only make sense to a few. Each number represents far more than we could possibly imagine. So this morning, we are not going to examine all the reasons women decide to have abortions. But to examine if we are the kind of people men and women would turn to when they would consider an abortion. To consider that decision. I want to ask if we are people of compassion, that when people are in crisis in their life, are they going to seek out us for wisdom? Or are they going to be turning away from us because they know that we are not going to give them Christ? And if we are lacking compassion, how do we get it? So we're going to ask that three questions this morning. If you want to follow along in the bulletin provided for you. The first question I want to ask is, do you have the compassionate hearing of Christ? Do you have the compassionate hearing of Christ? We're in the book of James this morning. James was the half-brother of Jesus. He wrote a very practical letter to the church. Now, this letter is probably is, is known as the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's simple, 
and yet it is powerful. The best advice may not be difficult to understand, but difficult to follow. The best advice is not the difficult to understand, but hard to follow. Listen to James' practical wisdom in 119. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Simple. Listen before you speak. You have to listen if you're going to think about what you're going to speak. You have to listen in order to understand the person you are talking to. We all know this is sound advice, so I'm sure you have been in those conversations before when you know that the person you're talking to is not really listening to what you have to say. They're just waiting for you to stop talking so they can give you their opinion. Someone who is not listening to hear what you actually have to say, but only is waiting for us to stop talking, is not someone who is listening with compassion. It feels very different than a conversation when you know someone is actively listening to what you have to say. They are seeking to understand your perspective. Active listening is essential for any good relationship. We know this if you've been been married, but it's also a true sign of humility. When we have compassion, we are listening to understand. What What it shows is that we are willing to learn. We have humility. It takes time. Now, our world values expediency. They want things done right now, right, right away. We love convenience with the development of, of email and, and text messaging and social media. It's changed the way we communicate. Face-to-face conversations with friends are becoming more and more rare. And even when you have a face-to-face conversation with a friend, you you often are looking at the top of their head because they're looking down on their phone. Or maybe you're that person like me often who, who is engaged in a conversation. Then you hear that, that beep and your, your mind immediately goes away from who you're talking to because you want to know what's going on the phone. And yet James says this, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. I think James' words are becoming more and more important as these problems arise in our day. Listening to someone's pain and their problem communicates compassion, communicates love. In in a world that is so driven um, by expediency, when someone takes the time to listen and have compassion, they're willing to actually hear what you have to say. And we know that this is a, a way we reflect what the Lord has done for us, right? The Lord is, is kind to his people. The Lord delights to listen to our issues, our pain, our problems. He says, cast all your anxieties onto me, for I love you, I care for you. The Lord desires to know our pain. And we, as his representatives, his ambassadors here on earth, are called to, to represent him to the world, to listen to those who are hurting. That listening the Lord does for us is that model that we're called to follow. His patience, his perseverance towards us should be an example of how we are called to communicate with others. The Lord 
had every right to express his anger and his wrath against us. And yet we read in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any of you should perish, but all should reach repentance. The Lord was compassionate to us when we deserved wrath. Anger and rash words are an indication that we have forgotten the Lord's patience. We are called to reflect the righteousness of our God to a lost and hurting world. And when we respond with quick and harsh words, we are, we are not picturing God's glory. We are not picturing His righteousness. We are giving a false picture to those who need to hear Him. We are not modeling God's kindness, His patience. We forgot that we ourselves are sinners. We hold others to the standard in which God has not held us to. And beloved, we must never forget that we are sinners. The reason why we're even talking about from this passage is because I, I, I just feel that the reason why um, younger Christians and the world in general doesn't want to hear the voice of Christians anymore is because a lot of Christians are arrogant and prideful. They're not full of compassion. And because they're not full of compassion, we are the last place that those who are in crisis come to. Because the impression is that we are not a people of compassion. And I think the reason is, is because we have forgotten our past sin. We have forgotten that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He did not die for us when we were cleaned up. He died for us when we were sinners. God is patient with you. Can I just tell you who is here today who has struggled with sin this past week, whether that's the sin of lust, the sin of jealousy, the sin of anger, whatever sin you dealt with this past week, can I remind you The Lord is patient. The Lord is patient with you. And can I remind you that those who have been sinned against this past week, that the Lord has also been patient with you. So you are called to be patient towards one another. One of the reasons why I love the Apostle Paul is because the Apostle Paul, it seems, throughout his, throughout his letters, never forgot his sin. Never forgot what he did against God. And that, 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 that informed the rest of his life. Look what it says, and you can just write this down. First uh, Timothy 1, verse 12. Let me, let me read what Paul says about his own salvation. How his own salvation was assigned to others. And I pray you would take his example. Paul writes, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. That's who Paul was. Then he says, but I received mercy. I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy. And deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of who I am the foremost. 
but I received mercy for this reason. Now hear the reason why Paul received mercy. The same reason that Paul received mercy is the same reason you and I receive God's mercy. You don't primarily receive God's mercy in this life so that you can only have God's presence. You have received mercy for a purpose. You have received a mercy from God so that others can experience that same mercy. Listen to what it says. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. As an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul never forgot that he was a sinner saved by Jesus Christ. The kindness God showed Paul through Jesus Christ was an example for all who would come after him. The same is true for us today. The reason why we don't lash out in anger is because we we remember that when God was rightly Angry with us because of our sin, he showed us kindness. We are called to do the same. And when we are are quick with our tongue and we lash out at people, we obscure the gospel. That's what's happened in our our day. There are are political pundits. uh, There are Christians who have a, a voice in our culture that have obscured the gospel by the manner in which they speak. And sadly, too many Christians are lining up behind them. Are we full of compassion? If our reputation as Christians is not of patient listening but harsh and rash words, why would a woman or a man consider coming to a Christian when they are in crisis? If we are not full of compassion, then people will not turn to receive the compassion of Christ. So are you quick to judge or quick to give compassion? Are you slow to speak and quick to hear? Sadly, like I said before, I believe many, most non-Christians in our day would look at Christians and think that they are arrogant and proud. And I think, if I'm just going to be 100% honest, the lack of compassion among Christians... Christians in the South who go to church is one of the reasons why young people are moving away from the church. Young people don't want to be associated with people who are arrogant and proud. I've had too many conversations with young people who are drifting more and more to social issues that the Bible would be against because they don't want to be associated with a certain class of Christians. We have to understand and take responsibility as believers. Are we compassionate? Do we have the compassion of Christ? And how do we get it? How do we develop this compassionate hearing? Look at what James says in 121. It says, therefore, put away all filthiness and the rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. We repent of our sins, we turn from it, and we humbly accept the word of Christ. It's, it's, it's the two wings of the plane. This is how we, we grow in compassionate listening and hearing, is that we first hear God's word. When we hear God's word right now, the word is being spoken. You hear the word publicly, you hear the word privately. We have to humbly accept it. 
And James uses the imagery here of dirty clothes. That, that when you're in soiled clothes, dirty clothes, you change them. You, you take them off and you put on clean ones. That's what we do as Christians. We, we put off our old ways and we put on the new ways. And the new way of Christ is one who, who uses their words to, to lift up, uses their words to be gracious, uses their words for compassion, not for anger. We accept that we cannot clean ourselves, but we turn to Christ, who is able to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. So, beloved, if we hear God's word, we will be a humble people. And when we are a humble people, we will be a compassionate people. And when we are compassionate, people will come to us in crisis. Just think about that. Think about how you live your life in compassion. That someone who's considering making the decision to end a life would come to you and say, I need help. What do I do? Yet if we're known for anger, they're not going to come. The second question I want to ask you is, do you have the compassionate hands of Christ? Do you have the compassionate hands of Christ? Of course, we're called to hear God's word that, that says accept the word meekly, the word implanted in you, which, which can save you. Uh, but it, it must never, we must never be hearers only. Listen to what James says in verse 22. It says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. It is not enough to hear the word. It is not enough to hear the word. Too many times we, we come, we hear the word of God, but if it does not invoke a response, if there is no action along with it, the Bible says that there's judgment coming. It, it, the mirror that James used here is a, is a picture throughout the first century of moral development. You looked at yourself, you examined yourself so that you would live your life in a moral and upright way. But he, he points out two common mistakes when, made when those encounter the word. The first is viewing the word only as theory. The word is only as a theory. We may seek to understand its meaning, but we don't apply it to our lives and how we live. The Word of God is like a theory, but it's a practical one that, that should change how we live in every area of our lives. The other is when you glance at the Word and kind of look away. It's, it's kind of as if we're, you're getting dressed in the morning and you get your clothes on and you, you think everything looks fine, so you just kind of pop in, take a quick look, and you go away, not knowing if things are actually put together Right. That's what he's saying here. I think many of us, we come to the word, but we do one of these. I'm all good. And we keep on about our life. What God wants, God wants us to stop, to look at this word, the law of liberty, the word of God, and examine ourselves. Every time you come to hear the word, whether that is publicly here or privately in your home, every time you hear the word, you should ask yourself, what do I need to obey? What do I need to obey? 
I've been doing a lot of reading, uh, as you know, from, from my class. I've been studying a lot of, of how Christians are in other parts of the world, South Africa, or Africa, South America, Asia, uh, Russia. And one of the things that I have found repeatedly throughout my readings is that Christians in other parts of the world expect obedience. They expect when someone comes to faith in Christ, they're going to go tell their families. They're going to go tell their friends. They're going to change how they live. It's just natural for Christians in other parts of the world to obey the word of God. It's common for them when they, when they gather in their meetings is that after the word is preached, they look at each other and say, what do you need to obey? How did God speak to you? What do you need to follow in God's word? And I just don't think that's a question that, that Americans ask each other. Wouldn't it be great instead of just talking about the upcoming Panther victory this afternoon, wouldn't it be awesome if you looked at each other? Thank you, sister. Wouldn't it be awesome if you looked at each other and said, what did God speak to you today that you need to obey? I mean, well, that's the kind of relationship we should have with one another. You know, that should be natural in our, in our communication because we do not want to be hearers only. We want to be doers of the word. God's word demands a response. Every time we hear it, it demands a response. So when, the, when I pray for you before I preach, I pray that God would soften your hearts, that when the word of God goes forth, that the Holy Spirit would take the words out of my mouth, the words that are read, and plant them upon your hearts, convict you and drive you closer to become like Jesus. That today, right now, you are being convicted of sin so that you can burn away the, the dross of, of the ungodly life and be reflected more of the righteousness of God, His character, His holiness. That's what we want here on Sunday morning. So when the Word of God is, is about to be preached, when the Word of God is being read, you're sitting humbly waiting to hear it, that your life could be transformed. Let me close with one last question. Do you have the compassionate heart of Christ? Do you hear like Christ? Do you, do you work like Christ with your hands? And do you have a heart like Christ? When you study Jesus' life, he was full of compassion. His compassion was expressed to the hurting, the outcast, the lame, the poor. He came to those who were weary and gave them rest. He came to the hurting and gave them healing. He came to the least of these and showed them love. Do we have his heart? James writes 1.26, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. See, James is concerned that his readers are self-deceived. Now, I know that there's always someone in a room that says, there's no way that I could be self-deceived. If you think that people can't be self-deceived, watch American Idol. Right? There, there are people every year who get up there and they think that they are the best singer in the world, and they are awful. And you know what? Even after they get professional opinion that they're not very good, you know what they say? Man, they just don't know. I can sing. No, you can't, right? They're self-deceived. Well, I think many people are like American Idol Christians. We're self-deceived. When it says here that if the person thinks he is religious, what it means is if the person says that they have faith in Jesus. What Paul says religious for a Christian here is, is do you have faith in Jesus? There are many people who say they have faith in Jesus. 
And yet by their lives, they are showing themselves self-deceived. James says, the one who claims they have faith in Jesus but does not control his tongue, their faith is worthless. Did you hear that? How you speak, if you cannot control your tongue, the Bible says that you may not be a believer. Do not be deceived. True Christians should be easily identified by their speech. Because what comes out of the mouth is a reflection of what's in the heart. So if, you're, if you have unworthy speech, you are revealing an unworthy heart. If you have bitter speech, you are revealing a bitter heart. If you have angry speech, you are revealing an angry heart. Beloved, do not be deceived. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. People who do not bridle their tongues need to receive with meekness the word of God implanted in us for salvation. And yet James does not even merely stop at one speech. He turns towards how people care for the powerless. He says religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. There's two aspects that James is working on here. One aspect is that a Christian should be a holy person. They should, they should look differently than the world. Someone who follows Jesus should not be stained from this world, but reflect the pure grace of Christ. The church represents the righteousness of God to the world. And secondly, he says that God cares for the powerless. He has a heart for orphans. You ever think that the center of this universe, and we believe that God created the universe, God the Father, through the Son and the power of the Spirit, at the center of the universe is the heart of a father who loves adoption. Because while we were sinners, he adopted us as sons and daughters in Christ. Hear God's word from Romans 8, 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then heir, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be also glorified with him. Beloved, we are sons and daughters of God through Christ. God cares deeply about adoption. In teaching this passage, John Piper makes this direct application to abortion. Listen to as he writes. What does abortion have to do with orphans? The connection I see is this. God wants us to be concerned about orphans because they are helpless without a mother and a father. And we should feel compassionate for the helpless who depend utterly upon others for life. Picture a three-year-old child riding in his safety seat on the back seat of a car with his mommy and daddy riding in the front. There's a terrible crash and both mommy and daddy are killed. The child has minor injuries but is okay. The hospital officials check and discover there are no grandparents or no other family members known. It's a heartbreaking situation. And God says to the church, step up 
and care for that child. So orphans are children whose parents have died and left them at the mercy of others to care for them, lest they die. How does that relate to abortion? Well, abortion puts the child in a worse situation. The parents are not dead. They have turned on the child and choose to have the child dead. This is worse than being an orphan. To have a mommy and a daddy choose to have you dead is worse than a mommy and daddy being dead. So it seems to me that if God wants us to care about the orphan whose life is endangered because his parents are dead, he would want all the more that we care about the child whose life is endangered because his parents choose to make him dead. Can I have a confession to you this morning? I don't like preaching against abortion. I don't like thinking about abortion. It makes me sick to my stomach that our country would allow this to happen. It makes me sick when I know that there's people in this room who have have dealt with it. And yet we can't ignore it. We can't ignore it. What would happen if the church had compassion for orphans? What would happen if if the church was was known for, for caring not only for their own children, but the world's as well? Beloved, there are orphans in our world. There are orphans whose parents are dead. And there are orphans whose parents choose to make them dead. Abortion is a harsh reality of our time. So I pray, I pray, beloved, that we would be known as a people who are quick to listen and slow to speak. Let us be a people who are are quick with compassion, overflowing with grace and mercy. Jesus came for both the hurting and those who hurt. He did not come to call the healthy, but the sick. Our world is sick. So let us apply the healing power of the gospel to the children whose lives are endangered. And, and, those who choose to endanger them. Our gospel demands both. Jesus has a heart full of compassion. Let us desire to have a heart like his. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would make the people of Park Baptist Church a people known for compassion. We pray that you, in this coming year, God, would give us opportunities by the way we live our lives, by the graciousness of our speech, that when people are in crisis, they would come to us for help and that we could apply the balm of salvation through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we do pray that you would end abortion. We pray that you would use men and women in this room to do so. God, we pray now as the word was spoken that we would not merely be hearers, but we would be doers of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.